You're listening to Foreseeable, a production of Globalization, the flagship digital platform of Singapore's Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Each episode, we invite an expert for a conversation relating to their area of expertise and to find out what they foresee happening in the future. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Ong Yee Kung, Singapore's Minister for Education. He's been a member of Parliament since 2015, and he's held a wide range of government positions, including Deputy Secretary General of the National Trades Union Congress, NTUC, Chief Executive of Singapore Workforce Development Agency, WDA, and Deputy Chief Negotiator for the U.S.-Singapore Free Trade Agreement. Minister Ong recently spoke at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy's Festival of Ideas 2019, where he shared his views on what he considers the key governance issues of our time, like technology disruption, inequality, and climate change. Globalization met up with the minister to follow up and have a deeper discussion. You suggested that an inclusive growth model that is productivity and innovation driven is the best way to deal with technological disruption. So I was wondering if you could give us some examples of this and and what kind of policies have to be part of this growth model. First, I think we must have faith in technology. While technology advances very quickly, I think throughout human history, what we observe is that it does create many more jobs, right? And humans with the right skills can take up those jobs. And we've seen that over and over again when we automate farm work and then industrial revolution, computerization more recently. And now this phase of Industry 4.0 as well as AI, big data and so on. First, I think we must have belief and faith that it's not going to be different this time. Okay. Yeah. I think that's an important starting point. Then the next issue is that as a society, nation and country, we do have a choice to make. A recent example, uh, say outsourcing. Mm -hmm. When outsourcing became popular, say in the 2000s, countries can, and economies and governments can, and industries can choose to implement it in different ways. Mm -hmm. You can take an extreme form and outsource everything. And I just focus on what I think is my so-called core competency, which may just be a few management staff. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, your jobs have all been exported to lower-cost economies. Right. And that is a choice. That uh, Technology is not to be blamed for mm -hmm. that, but it's the choice of a country or industry or company. But those companies by now, I think most of them will have regretted. Right. If you have overdone it, you will have regretted. Mm -hmm. That is actually quite important. Many competencies that you think are not core right. actually is quite core. Right. And by exporting them out, you, you lose capabilities over time. Mm -hmm. So likewise, if you expand that to an economy, we likewise have to make those choices. Mm -hmm. Not everything that can be AI ought to be AI. Right. Not everything that can be automated and done by the robot, and you should therefore push in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I think that is plenty of scope and probably more ideal that humans and technology work side by side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen the Japanese done that quite skillfully, and it's a conscious decision. The humans are in the factory floors still doing their manufacturing job, but then the repetitive tasks, some of right. the repetitive tasks are now performed by robots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, deliberately designed to have lower payload. 
Okay. I always yeah. ask them what's and whenever I see a robot in Japan, I'll ask them what's the payload. Mm-hmm. They say one point five kilograms, sometimes half a kilograms. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they can be stronger, as strong as Terminators, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but they have deliberately designed it to be weaker. Mm-hmm. So you complement humans. Mm-hmm. I think we have to consciously decide not to push this overboard. Okay. Because it will bounce just like outsourcing. Right. There will be a time when we will regret and say, I think we need something a bit more optimal. I can give you one more example. Sure. I went to Shenzhen and they, I think they are one of the first in the world to implement autonomous buses. Right. Yeah. And in fact, it's done with a, a, as a collaboration with a Singapore company. Mm-hmm. But these autonomous buses have a bus driver. Mm, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The person is still sitting there. Mm-hmm. The bus drives itself, but he's watching to make sure equipment now and the computer system is operating properly. Right. Keep an eye on the passengers to make sure they are safe. Mm-hmm. They are boarding and lighting properly. And he's responding to emergencies if there's one. Mm-hmm. And other customer service issues. Mm-hmm. There is still a job there. Right. And for that matter, we have driverless trains in Singapore, mm-hmm. but they all have drivers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that is the future. Okay. Yeah, that is the future. Well, when you gave the example of Japan and the, the robots on the factory floor, was that choice, was that a company by company or was it a government-wide choice? It was a company that I visited. Okay, yeah, so that, that was their the, own? It was a robot uh, manufacturing company that mm-hmm. told me how their robots has been deployed. Okay. Yeah. Something interesting culturally in Japan as well. I asked mm-hmm. them, why do you deploy your robots this way? They say, but in Japan, robots are seen as friends because of Doraemon and Pokemon. <laughs> right, yeah. So robots have always been seen as friends and pals of humans and mm-hmm. working side by side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, all these cultural factors still will pay, play a part. Okay. How do you foresee the private and public sectors, though, adopting such growth models here in Singapore? Do you have a prediction or do you see a trend already? I... In Singapore particularly, I think what the government chooses as its policy plays a big part. Mm -hmm. And I think for this government, since we started industrialization and we became independent, we have a very strong tripartite cooperation Mm -hmm. between businesses, government and the unions. And when these three parties get together, we discuss about how we develop industries, modernize industries, develop our economy for the future. And those conscious decisions will have to be made and the signal has to be sent to the industries. Mm-hmm. I believe we, through this process that has been tried and tested over the decades, we will arrive at something more optimal okay. rather than technology for technology's sake, mm-hmm. which I think will freak out everybody. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and using Having said that, changes are happening. Right. There are great disruptions happening, mm-hmm. but it need not necessarily lead to a decimation of jobs. Okay. I don't think that will happen. Well, I was also going to ask you, because at the, at the beginning you said that, you know, this is just like the kind of changes that we've seen before, you know. In Except the, it's a lot faster now. That was going to be my question. It's what about the speed? And, yeah. and does the speed worry you at all? You're absolutely right. The speed is so much faster. And I think the response, therefore, is that learning and education has to be has to try to keep up. Mm -hmm. And each of us, both in terms of support systems and government policies and government help to individual workers and companies, but also ourselves as individuals, we have to understand what is happening Mm -hmm. and take the initiative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, A top-down driven system alone, I don't think will help. Mm -hmm. So this has uh, several major implications on education. Let me just cite one for now. You are... are 
interviewing Tom Friedman, if I'm not wrong, mm, yes. just reading his book, mm-hmm. and he said something uh, in one of the early chapters that knowledge is no longer a stock, <coughs> but knowledge is a flow mm-hmm. because it keeps changing, which is absolutely correct. But what is the implication on education and training? Is that if knowledge and skills become a flow, education and training becomes an issue of stock? Mm, okay, right. Mm-hmm. Because in the past, when knowledge and skills is a stock, education and training can be a flow. Mm. I just train the new cohort; mm-hmm. they are ready with their stock of knowledge and mm-hmm. skills, and they take care of themselves for the rest of their careers. Right. But now that it's become a flow of knowledge and skills, we have to constantly reach out to the stock of workers out there. Right. And get them to keep on learning, keep on improving themselves in right. order to keep up with the very fast changes. Well, and uh, that's a good point. And then how are you, as a ministry, how are you adapting to that, knowing that you have to have o- older workers and, you know, re- retraining? Is that done, like, in partnership with Ministry of Manpower? Or is it, how are you dealing with that now that it's not just a cohort, they go out into the world and take care of themselves, but, you know, they may need to be reskilled, have career changes, you know, lateral job mm. moves, deal with new technologies. How is that affecting, um, like, the daily work? workflow here Mm. fortunately this is something we have done for some time in fact we set up the workforce development agency which is a statutory government Mm. agency it was 2003 if I remember correctly so a little more than 15 years ago because that agency's purpose and objective is Mm -hmm. to promote lifelong learning Mm -hmm. and we set up a lifelong learning endowment fund uh, several billion dollars now and we use the earnings from the fund to support workers for their upgrading and also to support companies to support their employees for upgrading. Mm-hmm. But with this rapid and accelerated change, the corporation need to be tighter. Mm-hmm. So one way to make it tighter actually is to restructure ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the Workforce Development Agency has since been restructured and became part of the MOE. Mm-hmm. So that way we can look at education and training as one process within one government agency mm-hmm. a comprehensive stock take from preschool all the way to the day you retire even post retirement there's still training and education right uh, that you need to participate in mm-hmm. uh, so that's a major change especially for all our higher education institutions mm-hmm. the polytechnics as well as the university with this change their their missions have all changed they're no longer looking at flow Mm-hmm. They're now looking at stock. Mm-hmm. National University of Singapore now says enrollment to NUS is for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Probably needs to be longer. Right. Yeah. It's a bit early, but I think they need to quickly ramp up their programs mm-hmm. that are relevant to adults, quickly master adult learning, which is vastly different from students' learning. Right. And deliver in a way that is more uh, convenient and conducive to mm-hmm. adults. This is a capability they have to build up quickly. I think another thing that Thomas Friedman was saying is that, uh, you know, the survival of a lot of universities out there really depends on them engaging older students. Because if they go with the same business model of just taking, you know, the high school Mm -hmm. graduates or or the young people, there won't be enough, you know, there won't be enough students to support them. Absolutely, absolutely. And the top universities today around the world, they're taking in less than 2% of adult learners. Mm -hmm. And that proportion has to increase and at the same time while you reach out to adult learners you also have to review what are you teaching 
existing young students. Mm, right. And I think education has to be quite different from okay. the past. Mm-hmm. And the traditional model have many walls between faculties, between industry and institutes, mm-hmm. between skills and knowledge. All these have to start breaking down. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd like to hear ha- what are some methods that you're using to break down those walls? Different universities have started different ways. I, I think one obvious one is between institution and industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you are familiar with the history of university, they started off teaching clerics, mm-hmm. right? Yes. They are religious institutions. So it's, it's authoritative, it's, it's I know better mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. mindset. Mm-hmm. But even post-World War II, and you see the rise of research university, it's still the same because many of the research breakthroughs, innovation and technology came from government and from the military. Right. So it's, you're still in the I know best mentality. Mm-hmm. But I think today, innovation, research, some of the best activities are done by the private sector and okay. done in the right. industries. Mm-hmm. Universities have to now say, I don't know best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and sometimes industry know best. Mm-hmm. So if knowledge and skills are now created in an industry much more, much faster than ever, Surely you got to bring industry into your campus, right? Or okay. in fact, bring your campus into industry. Mm-hmm. This is not a new mode of learning. Apprenticeship has been around much longer mm-hmm. than the traditional academic university, right? Work study format. The Europeans have done that for centuries. Um, I think we need to revive that, modernize, and implement it in a more modernized format. Okay. Yeah, and I think that is great potential for doing that. Just bring in industries working together with professors and academics, mm-hmm. knowing that each of us don't know best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Institution may be good at laying foundational knowledge and skills for mm-hmm. the student, increase their capacity to learn, but industry is the one where you learn practical skills mm-hmm. for it to be to be applied immediately. Right. And then continue that process as you are in the industry. Uh, so we are experimenting different formats. Work-study programs has become quite an important focus of ours, and okay. we hope that it become one of our mainstream avenues. Okay, That's, that's one wall to be broken down. Mm-hmm. Another one is between faculties. I yeah. think every university realizes that, but it's not easy because after a while, they become fiefdoms. Mm. They're not easy f- to, to break down the walls and get deans to work together. MIT has started something. They started an IT school, I think. And I think that is really meant to drive cooperation across different faculties. We started a university called the Singapore University of Technology and Design that was in collaboration with MIT as well as China's Zhejiang University. Mm -hmm. But because it started as a fresh university, it just celebrated its 10 years uh, 10-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. We start from scratch, and therefore we design a university without faculties. Okay. And, yeah. So they have what they call pillars of competencies. Mm-hmm. So every cho- every students start off their first year doing the common modules for, for representing the this, these pillars of competencies before they specialize into their respective fields. Okay. Yeah. The direction is quite clear. You got to have interdisciplinary learning. It will come it will mean more breadth at the expense of some depth. Okay. It has yeah. to be because if we all have 365 days a year and 24 hours a day, but it, it doesn't quite matter considering that learning and education is now for the stock of workers. Right. And you have your whole life to learn deeper. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And it may well be better 
for you to gain a bit more breath, start work first, experience industry, mm-hmm. learn on the job, discover your interests before coming back and deepen right. in an area that's most suitable and most relevant to you. Resilience is a big buzzword yeah. in this day and age. So I wanted to ask you just how do you teach resilience and is that even possible? Resilience comes from experience. You can teach, but it won't make an impact. Mm-hmm. I can give you a le- lecture on what is resilience <laughs> yeah. and, and what, what constitutes resilience. But in the end, it has to come from experience. Right. Unfortunately, we cannot quite replicate the conditions for young Singaporean students to have resilience. Mm-hmm. We can't replicate poverty and the the times that my parents have to go through. They went through a world right. war. That taught them resilience. But you don't wish that on our children. Right. So I think we can do as much as we can, given mm-hmm. the context of the world they live in today. Mm-hmm. Some of the things we can try to inculcate those characteristics is through, say, outdoor adventure learning. Okay. Yeah, that we can do when they are younger, mm-hmm. make them overcome fear of heights and do high obstacle costs. We want to encourage our students to have overseas exposure. Okay. Where, in the safe way, they, they go overseas for immersion, for community projects, mm-hmm. work in teams, go through difficulties, partner difficult people right. and having to overcome that. So okay. sometimes parents and students complain about those experiences, but that is part of the design as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And of course, in Singapore, for the boys, they have the privilege of going through national service. That's <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, I'm going to change subjects now a bit because I think you also mentioned inequality in, in today's world and, and also the lack of social mobility that we see in a lot of societies mm. these days. Mm. Which do you think is more serious the income inequality or lack of social mobility? Mm, it's hard to rank them. If the gap is too big, it is in itself a big problem. But I think inequality cannot be just seen from the perspective of income inequality and the gap between top and bottom income. There's also issues of whether there's a core of middle class. What is the churn, which mm-hmm. is the social mobility you mentioned, and mm-hmm. what is the mix? That's the top mix with the bottom, or they live in separate worlds. Right. All this play a role, and I would say that the four dimensions, the gap, the core, the mix, and the churn, mm-hmm. I think creates the, the inequality landscape. Okay. Yeah. If you look at Singapore, our Gini coefficient was not compiled until much later in the 70s, I think. But if we trace back earlier, I think the gap has been wider in the past. Right, because there were a few rich traders mm-hmm. who settled in Singapore and tycoons, but most people are poor. Mm-hmm. So at that time, inequality is actually much worse right. in terms of income gap mm-hmm. yeah, compared to today. Mm-hmm. But I think what was possible at that time is that even if you are poor and you are from a hung, humble family background, mm-hmm. there is churn. Mm-hmm. By working hard, by putting your children through a good education system, you mm-hmm. can make good. Right. And the next generation can perform better than today, which means you have a middle class that's constantly improving in quality of life. And at that time, for some reasons, the rich and the poor, I think, mixes much better together. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's this sense that while there's a big gap, inequality wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. We are improving. Yeah. The escalator is moving. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think today's problem is that the gap, I think, don't think it's as wide as the early days. Right. But there's a certain sense that is social mobility is still working. Mm-hmm. Or 
uh, the privilege preserving their privilege and passing down to the next generation right. and you get an encrusted privilege layer mm-hmm. on top of societies and how do I break into that so th- I think that is the frustration mm-hmm. that societies are going through what do you see the trends are right now and, and how do you think that you, uh, they should be addressed I, I would think there is a risk mm-hmm. that if we are not careful privilege get entr- encrusted at mm-hmm. the top how do we narrow this of course, the easiest way to resolve inequality, you tax the rich mm-hmm. or make sure those who are talented don't excel as much <laughs> and then you equalize. Mm-hmm. But that's what the communists used to do. I don't think it works. It's important for us to understand that it is very natural that if someone has the talent, he or she wants to be as good as they can be. Mm-hmm. Parents that care for their children will not spare any effort or resources to make sure their children do well. And right. that is natural. Mm-hmm. All of us will have done the same. Yeah. So I think it's very, uh, very understandable human nature. So I think in this whole effort to tackle inequality, we should not try to cap the top. Let them go as far as they can. Mm-hmm. In fact, encourage them. But devote more resources, deploy more policy levers to help and lift the bottom. Okay. And that has been our philosophy. Right. So now there's a lot more explicit additional support given to students from more vulnerable backgrounds. Okay. Preschool is one major lever and one major intervention. Mm-hmm. We have pretty much made preschool universal mm-hmm. for all students because those are important formative years and we subsidize them very generously, mm-hmm. especially for the vulnerable families. Okay. MOE ourselves step into the market. We start delivering MOE kindergartens mm-hmm. and we set aside a third of our places for students from poorer backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even in schools and secondary schools, we now also ring fence some seats and places okay. to make sure there is better mixing mm-hmm. of students from different backgrounds. Okay. Yeah. There is a lot of data to support that intervening at preschool levels just has a, has yes. a lifelong effect. Changes that you make now, you won't be able to measure or see a a result for how many years would it take before we know if you know that this pays off that's the nature of an education enterprise mm-hmm. everything you do make a judicious evaluation mm-hmm. decide what to do and you hope that 10 years 20 years from now you see the impact right yeah my generation we started off emphasizing on bilingualism and so now I can see that it, it really has an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a whole generation of bilingual working adults that if we have not done this 20 years ago, we can't benefit from the, right. from the benefits today. Yep. Yeah. And, and what's another lever that you have to affect uh, inequality outcomes? The entire education system from school to higher education, mm-hmm. it, it's an important platform to bring Singaporeans, all communities all different backgrounds mm-hmm. together right. and be able to mix. Mm-hmm. So beyond the issue of churn, mm-hmm. right, ensuring that social mobility for those from poorer backgrounds is also a platform for mixing. Yeah. Which is why I mentioned some of the places in schools now have to be ring fence right. for students from different backgrounds to come in. Yeah. But the 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 best melting pot actually is in higher education. Okay. In university and polytechnics, mm-hmm. three quarters of our cohort every year now goes through tertiary education, mm-hmm. either polytechnics or university. Right. Yeah. And ninety percent of them will find work six mm-hmm. within six months of graduation. 
those who choose to be economically active at least. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it is these are platforms not just to uplift students from all backgrounds, right? But it also uh, campuses where where we put aside our backgrounds and be able to intermingle. Very good. Yeah. Right. Okay. I I wanted to ask something else because you you also pointed out that um, there's a sense that people are losing faith in the idea of meritocracy. Yes, and Michael uh, Young wrote about that and predicted that. Yes, that yes. Uh, after a few generations, it was self-perpetuate. The privilege was start, start to self-perpetuate, mm-hmm. and that's when people will start losing faith in meritocracy. Yeah. So, is that? Do you think that is the same as this encrusted layer of privilege that you were talking about, or is it something different? And is is there are there any other levers or policies that should be considered to to deal with that perception that you want people to think that they have a fighting chance, you know, based on their own merits. It is definitely related because as the privileged encrust themselves, then you start to feel that there is no merit in the system. Mm-hmm. What makes you successful is what you are born with mm, right. rather than your ability and your merit. Mm-hmm. So people start to lose faith in meritocracy. But if you think about it, is there a better system? We can't think of one. Right. Nepotism doesn't work. Kleptocracy doesn't work. Communism doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Although it's tried to equalize everything, it mm-hmm. doesn't work. It's tried before. Mm-hmm. So meritocracy is a bit like democracy. Right. It's full of flaws, <laughs> but you can't think of something better. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I think we st- we still need to have a shot at meritocracy. Mm-hmm. It's a very basic governance principle that we have upheld and has worked well for us for two, three generations. But in the coming generation, what we need to do is to embrace a broader definition of meritocracy. Okay. I think that will make it work for another mm-hmm. one, two generations. Okay. A broader meritocracy that doesn't overly focus on academic grades, right. which has been our obsession, mm-hmm. I must say. Yeah. Right from 12-year-old, you do your exams, your exam results decide which school you go to, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Employers today are still hiring, many of them still hiring on the basis of academic results. Right. And really, it's not optimal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what meritocracy in the pure sense was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, meritocracy means you you get jobs and rewards and recognition through your merit. Right. And not just through academic merit. Mm-hmm. There has to be a broader definition of what that merit is to be. Okay. So if I'm hiring someone, I ought to recognize what skills am I looking for mm-hmm. and look for manifestations and proof of those skills, which yep. need not necessarily be academic. Do you think that people's attitudes are changing? That um, like hiring, hiring managers and company owners, do you see that their expectations are broadening where they look at people's outside experience beyond that? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I'm seeing some changes already in the way employers hire, especially in this age of AI and big data. Mm-hmm. They can easily select applicants based on different criteria. Right. right. If I, I need someone who is gung-ho, I can work in teams. I need not just look at your academic results. I can say, do you play a team sport? Mm-hmm. And does your resume show that you have uh, an interest in traveling mm-hmm. and learning about other cultures? Right. I mean, I, I can easily put that as a shortlist criteria. You're right. Yeah? Yeah. And I'm seeing more companies prepared to do that, including mm-hmm. civil service organizations are okay. starting to do that. Mm-hmm. I can also see students and parents putting emphasis on different aspects of learning. 
okay. more than just exams and grades, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. One very encouraging thing we have been noticing is that parents are increasingly prepared to send their kids to schools near their home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So yep. the concept of a good school used to be it has to be of some brand um, belong to certain brand names. Uh, now I think it's giving way to saying that a good school may be just a school nearby so my kid can sleep longer. Right. Yeah. That's a good school. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And amongst teachers, educators, I think that has also evolved, probably evolving the fastest okay. yeah, within MOE. And I think the concept of what is a good student is, is also evolving quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in general, I'm, I'm optimistic. It may take a generation to change this mindset, right. but I think we are evolving. Before you go, I wanted to ask about climate change. Sure. Also in your speech, you talked about technology and things like green finance, fiscal policies such as carbon taxes. I was wondering, are these concepts being introduced into the Singapore curriculum to uh, educate uh, the younger people? First, I would say for climate change, I know our students, young people especially, they are very seized by this issue. And they feel that, no, the world might come to an end one day and and this is the burden of their generation. Mm -hmm. But I have to assure them, every generation thinks that the world is ending. Mm -hmm. My generation... Cold War was happening when I was in school and as a kid I always thought there would be a nuclear apocalypse right. and I wouldn't survive beyond my middle my 50 and mm-hmm. this year I'm turning 50 um, and still an earlier generation worry about World War II and others right. yeah, so every generation we have our survival concerns right. the good thing about I think the Singapore society is a fairly evidence-based and science-based society we look at evidences right yeah and in singapore we i don't sense there is a strong lobby denying climate change yeah i haven't seen it i've not seen seen it nobody has ever made statements to say this is all a hoax right and most people are just looking at how are we going to mitigate Mm -hmm. and how are we going to adapt right yeah so in school i like to think that partly is because of the way we teach in school there's often evidence-based and fact-based mm-hmm. and that includes climate change we teach global warming from lower primary school and in secondary school we teach the carbon cycle so many schools i visited they all have what we call applied learning programs mm-hmm. which, which means they do projects as project teams right and often it will be climate related yeah i just saw the other day a group of students did a robot and release it into the pond so that mm-hmm. it can measure the pH level mm-hmm. and so that whether the fish will survive. No, right. Simple lessons like that, I think it, it sharpens their sense that the environment is vulnerable mm-hmm. and we all have to do something about it. And, and finally, I'd just like to ask you, how do you foresee the daily lives of teachers and students changing over, say, the next five years or the next 10 years? Mm. I am not a fan of overhauling education system to the extent that we don't need teachers, we don't need classroom, we don't need schools anymore. Mm -hmm. I think these are still important places for different people to mix, for values to be transmitted person to person, Mm -hmm. for students to learn from teachers and then discuss and debate amongst themselves. So that has to be basically still a human activity. And I think the role of teachers will always be here to stay. But what I think will happen is that teaching and learning will become more effective, more customized, more fun, Mm -hmm. more applied because of technology. Mm -hmm. But I also wish to see that technology is not front and center in everything we do in school. Right. Instead, it should fade into the background 
so that the teachers is in the front, but aided by technology, can conduct a much more interactive class. And okay. I start to see that happening in some of our classrooms. Mm-hmm. We now have a crowdsourcing group. Uh, they're all 7,000 teachers in one Facebook group. Okay. And they're constantly discussing better ways of enacting their lesson plans, mm-hmm. better techniques to right. implement in class. And it's quite vibrant, quite dynamic. Mm-hmm. So I really hope that 10 years from now, we see classrooms that are a lot more vibrant mm-hmm. and use technology for more effective teaching and learning. Yeah, Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really Thank you. appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. For more information or to subscribe to our newsletter, go to lkyspp.edu.sg forward slash GIA or join our Facebook group at Global Is Asian. That's Global I-S-A-S-I-A-N.